0: Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today, we're going to begin a new series that's going to take us through the entire month of August. And with school starting back, I want to speak to you on the subject higher education. Higher education. And, and today, I have to admit to you, is going to be a little bit different than what we're, we're usually accustomed to in the way that I normally preach. Because today we're not going to have a main text. And if you know me, you know that that, that's important to me. And that when I preach a sermon, I preach from a text and I like to make it relatable to us. I like to expound upon that and and make it life applicable. Today, I need to lay down the foundation for this series. And so I'm not going to have a main text. But what I am going to have are a lot of supporting scriptures, Because I I believe that when we lay this foundation today, it's going to set the tone for the rest of this series. So today is important. And and I'll tell you this, even on Friday, God changed my direction for today. And so bear with me, let's go through this. But I just believe that God is gonna reveal his character to us in this room today. And I believe that there's gonna be lives that are changed and souls that are saved, amen? I said, I believe there's gonna be souls that are saved today, amen? When I was in high school... Back during the Civil War. Um, (laughs) When I was in high school, many moons ago, um, I had some good teachers and I had some bad teachers. Maybe maybe you're with me. Maybe you had some teachers that you liked and some that you didn't care for too much. And some people are actually raising their hands right now. I hope your teacher is not in the room because you were school age. (laughs) But I had this one teacher. His name was Mr. Montgomery. We called him Mr. Mont for short. And, and some of you had Mr. Montgomery, I, and, and Mr. Montt, he, he just had this way of presenting the material, and, and he made you want to be there. Like, you didn't want to be late for his class. You wanted to get there. You wanted to be a part of it, and, and in his class, you had to take lots of notes in order to pass the test, but he made it just, just so enjoyable that you didn't mind. I still have a notebook from his class and all the information that I received, I will never throw it away. It is, it is valuable and I have looked back at that information for years. That's how you know he was a great teacher. One thing Mr. Mott would do is at least once a year, he would invite all of his classes over to his house. He lived on a lake right around the corner from the high school. And, and he would invite all of his classes to his house for a barbecue and a movie night. And I remember that's the first place that I ever saw the movie, What About Bob? I don't know why I remember that, but I do. That's where I saw it. It was at Mr. Mont's house. He was a great teacher. I had another teacher named Miss Wheeler. And actually, Miss Wheeler, uh, this was in Lake City, in in first service, we actually had some of her family members that were in first service. And Miss Wheeler, she she challenged me intellectually almost every day. And and it was kind of this love-hate relationship, but I actually enjoyed going to her class because somewhere in, in in that setting, most days, we were going to go head-to-head in conversation. And it's almost like she, she prompted that, like she saw something in me intellectually that she wanted to pull out of me. And so almost every day, she and I would, would, would have conversation, sometimes heated conversation, and she challenged me. And even though at the time it was challenging, it made me a better student, and it left a lasting impact on my life. I also had some teachers that were not so great, now, I'm sure they were wonderful people. I'm sure if you got to know them, they were great, but their ability to teach and keep students engaged was tough. It, they just weren't good at it. I had this one geometry teacher. I'm not going to say any names, um, but I had this one geometry teacher that he would stand at the front of the classroom at the chalkboard and, and he would just ne- he would never turn around and he would just write on the chalkboard and he would just go through and he would teach very stern and monotone. It Picture Stanley from The Office teaching your geometry class. That's, that's, he, he looked like him, he acted like him, that's just how he was. And, and, he just, and he would never turn around and he was just a matter of fact with everything. And that was Monday through Thursday and Friday would come around, test day, and he would pass out the test and, and then he would walk out of the room and he would stay gone for the majority of the time. And we would get up. I'm not, I'm not proud of this, I'm ashamed of this, I do not suggest this. We would get up and we would cheat off each other's papers. Like, I don't know geometry. (laughs) My neighbor knew geometry, and she was good at it. So I just copied her paper, you know. And and we would just, all over the classroom, we're sharing answers with each other. And with about five minutes left in, in the period, he would come to the door, and he wouldn't open the door. He would knock, wait 10 seconds, and then he would walk in. He knew we were cheating. That's a horrible teacher, right? He knew that we were cheating, and he didn't care. I mean, it was just like I, I, he would go through the material, never a, let us ask questions. Horrible teacher. I had this, uh, uh, another teacher. He was my American government teacher. And he would sit at a podium during class and, and he would just lecture us the whole time. But some older classmates told us that when you have him for a teacher, and, and I think just from, from year to year, they pass this information down because how else would you know this? How else would you be brave enough to try this? They would tell us, he, he doesn't mind if you sleep during class. Like as soon as you get there, just put your head down on your desk and go to sleep. He doesn't care. And so we tried it. And for the rest of the school year, as soon as we got to class, we put our head down and, and, and that's, it was seventh period. We were exhausted by the end of the day. You know, especially the first half of the year when you're just not used to it and, and you're just really tired. We would just put our heads down and we would sleep. Numerous times I looked up throughout the year. I would look up and everybody's head was down and the man is faithful. He's still lecturing. He's still teaching away. And there was one kid, one kid right in the middle of the classroom. I always sat in the back because that's where the troublemakers would sit. And one kid right in the middle of the class, he would be head up taking notes. And it was his son. It was the teacher's son. Bless his heart. What a great son. Our Jesus, our King Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was a great teacher. And today, really, I want to convince you of that. In order for us to move through this series, I've got to convince you of how great of a teacher Jesus was. Of the 90 times that Jesus was directly addressed in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of the 90 times that he was directly addressed, he was referred to 60 of those times as the teacher. They called him the teacher. When they wanted to get his attention, they referred to him as teacher. And there are even devout atheists. You know what I'm talking about when I say an atheist. You know those people that spend their entire lives fighting something that they don't even believe in? Atheists. There are devout atheists that will proclaim that Jesus, they will not say he was the son of God because they don't believe in God. They do believe that Jesus was a real man, and they will say, they will proclaim that he was a great teacher. Take Richard Dawkins, for instance, this well-known British evolutionary biologist, atheist, and author. He once said these words, Jesus was a great moral teacher. Doesn't believe in God, but he said Jesus was a great moral teacher. And of course, church, we know, those of us that are believers, we know that Jesus was more than just a great moral teacher. He was a great moral teacher, but but he was so much more than that. We know that Jesus was a divine teacher. He was sent from heaven, God's son incarnate. He became one of us. We know that Jesus was divinely sent to teach us and to show us how to be in relationship with the Father. And so he's more than just a great moral teacher. He is a divine teacher. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, it says, And he, Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. So he went all throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Luke chapter 4 and verse 15 says... He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. So when he would go into their synagogues and he would teach, they they would applaud him. They would would say, man, this guy knows his stuff. He is a great teacher. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28, it says, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. They were amazed at what he was saying. Every time he opened his mouth, people were holding on to every word. The very next verse, in verse 29, it says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So they're used to hearing teaching. They're used to having somebody lecture them. But, but Jesus would get up and teach differently. And they said one of those differences was that he taught with authority. He, he stood up and, and taught with that authority. Now, it's interesting that throughout this week, as I was studying for this, I come across some information that I was not aware of in the past. And 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 it said that when when a a rabbi, when a a teacher of the law, when a rabbi wanted to to create a new teaching, that in order for him to do that, he would have to create some new rules or a new law to go with it. And and so anytime a rabbi was going to to create some, some new theology, if you will, for others to follow, for others to listen to, He would have to incorporate some rules also to go with that because that's what they they were a rule based society in, in Judaism. Jesus shows up on the scene, and instead of creating rules, they ask him, they said, Listen, teacher, which one is the greatest commandment? Talking about the Ten Commandments. Which one is the greatest, and they were trying to trick him because if, if he picks one of the over the others it's going to be heresy and, and 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 they said, which one is the greatest commandment and Jesus and his divine wisdom, the great teacher that he was, Jesus takes the ten commandments and he condenses them to two and if you go and read the ten commandments you'll notice that 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 They are separated into two groups. The first part of them deals with man's relationship to God. And the second part of them deals with man's relationship to man. And Jesus says this when he takes the Ten Commandments. And he says the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Man, you don't think that's wise? What a way to to, to just teach in the moment of, of the conversation. He said... If you want to know what's great in the kingdom, if you want to know what the greatest commandment is, you love God, then you love man, and you'll get it all figured out. That, my friend, is the great commandment. That is is what we are to do as as we love God and love people. We we know that Jesus was such a great teacher that thousands would follow him to desolate places where where there's no food. There was no McDonald's, there, there was no Chick fil A with the gospel chicken. There, there was nowhere to eat, and people were so desperate to hear his words that they would follow him into these places where there's nothing to eat, there's no market to go to, there's nowhere to get food, and they would just follow him without food to listen to him teach all day long. That's how great of a teacher that he was. I, I crack up because there's this one moment in John chapter 7 where, where the, the uh, Pharisees and the the chief priests they send officers and and what what they mean by officers it was the temple police and they send them they're upset with Jesus and they send the 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 officers to arrest Jesus they say here's where he's at we want you to go we want you to arrest him so the officers the temple police they go to where Jesus is teaching and when they get there Jesus is in the middle of his lesson he is teaching he's he is laying down a sermon to these people and they walk up, and instead of walking up and arresting him, they walk up and, and they become enamored by what he is saying. And they listen more, and, and they, they end up walking away, not arresting him, and they come back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they say, where's he at? Why didn't you arrest them? And, and listen to what they said in, in John chapter 7 and verse 46. It says, the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. You sent us to arrest him, but man, we started listening to this guy. And there's never been a human being on the planet that can teach like this guy teaches. He he is captivating. We were hanging on to every word that he was saying. We've never heard anybody speak like this. This man can teach. He was the son of God, church, and he was the greatest teacher that ever lived. He is the greatest teacher that has ever lived. But what made him so great? What made Jesus different than everybody else? Well, the first one we've already pointed out is this, is that he taught with authority. Jesus taught with authority. He knew what he believed. I mean, he's the son of God. He knows, right? He's omniscient. He knows it all. He knows what he believes, and he's not afraid to share it. See, some of us, we know what we believe, but we're afraid to share it. He taught with authority. He knew what he believed, and it was truth. And he was not afraid to share it. He, he did not waver from that truth. He knew it and he had to proclaim it. But the second thing that made Jesus so great with his teaching is that he taught with compassion. Jesus taught with compassion. You see, it's one thing to proclaim truth. And you can go around and preach truth, 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 truth. I mean, after all, the truth sets us free. You're set free because of the truth. Whether you believe it or not, you are set free because of the truth. And we can preach truth, 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 truth all day. But if we don't present it with compassion, we're never going to win the loss. Jesus presented truth, but he also presented it with grace, with that compassion. And he taught truth, but it was was wrapped, specially wrapped in grace. The third thing that made Jesus such a great teacher was this, is that he did it in such a practical way. It's amazing. His words... The reason why people were listening to what he was saying, the reason why people wanted to hear what he had to say, is because Jesus knew how to relate to the common people, and he would use analogies and metaphors and parables. He was a master at this, and it made him such a wonderful teacher. Last year, I had somebody come to me, and they said, Pastor... And and I know where this conversation came from. They didn't think of this. It came from another conversation that they had with somebody that doesn't like me very much. You ever had anybody not like you very much? Just say, God bless them. That's right, just declare it right now. Say, God bless them. No, say it like you mean it. Say, God bless (laughs) them. I didn't say it. I was not praying for those people that I won't, no, no. no, But you did. Thank God you did. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. No, they had a conversation with someone. They came to me and they said, pastor you you teach and you share too many personal stories. I said, hmm. well you would have hated the way that that Jesus taught i mean if you just want me to go line by line, if that's how you want me to teach, it's, it's really not the way that Jesus did. I promise you. And if you know me, one of my big pet peeves is scripture. We're going to have scripture whenever someone gets up in this pulpit. And if they ever do, they won't be back. And you can ask my staff. We have had people long ago in the past that preach at Destiny Community Church, and they never shared a scripture, and they've never been back. It happened once, and that's the only time it's ever happened. I believe in, in, in presenting the scripture, but I also believe in presenting it in a way that we can get it, that we can understand it. And, and the reason why I use my, my personal stories is because I don't know yours. But if you want to come lay it all out for me, I'll use you in a sermon. Ask my kids. I have preached many sermons using them as examples. So praise God for that. Amen? He taught with authority. He taught with compassion. And he taught it in a very practical way. And he knew how to relate to the common people and instill the kingdom principles into their hearts... Jesus was the greatest teacher, and this month, church, we are going to allow him to teach us from the greatest textbook that there ever was and ever will be. And each week, church, we're going to tackle a different subject and allow God to take us to school. You've never been to school unless God drove the church, the, the, the school bus to, to get you there, right? This month, we're going to allow God to take us to school, and in this series, we're going to look at the mathematics of God. We're going to look at the grammar of God. We're going to look at the geography of God and we're going to look at the history of God as we learn more about him and his character and we're going to allow Jesus to use the the textbook to teach us but today today just for a few moments here I promise you I'm, I'm going to get done quickly but just for a few moments let me talk to you on this subject it's the social studies of God the social studies of God Social studies is not limited to just one subject. It's interesting because it's rather a field of studies, including the subjects of, of history, geography, economics, civics, sociology, and other subjects, including sometimes politics, that relate to how we live and exist with one another. And, and the, the primary purpose of social studies was to help young people Make informed and reasoned decisions for the public good as citizens of a culturally diverse, democratic society in an interdependent world. Not independent. An interdependent world. Originally, social studies was designed to help students learn from the past to do better in the now in order to create a better tomorrow. That's why they created social studies. Now, Now listen to me. I'm afraid that we have sacrificed social studies and the arts, which I believe are, are important because we have become so concentrated on keeping up with the world that we have become focused on math, English, and science, and they're important, and we're going to cover some of those things in this series. But in America, we have become so focused on, 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 on the, the core subjects that we have lost the ability to teach young people how to function in the world and how to, to, to have a relationship with their neighbors and how to coexist in the world with people that may be different than us. And what's happened is we've created young adults that have book knowledge, but they no longer have common sense on how to live with their neighbors. Now, for those young people in the room, young adults in the room, that you're like, why, why are you saying this about me? Let me tell you this, because of social media, we've also created older adults that they have a lot of knowledge, not necessarily book knowledge, but they have a lot of knowledge, but they have no common sense either. So we're all in the same boat, right? We all have a lot of knowledge, but it's useless knowledge. Boy, you guys got quiet on me right there. Praise the Lord. And so we, we've, we've done this in our school system, and, and, and we've kind of done away with social studies, at least the way that it was originally designed And my question to America is, yeah, how's that working out for you? How's that working out? And the truth is this, is that we can't nor should we depend on a secular school system to teach us how to live socially with one another. It can aid. It can help. It can be a bonus. But families, I want you to listen to me. Moms, dads, listen to me. Children, you listen to me. If we want our children to grow up and be positive members of society, then we've got to get back to having our families in church. We've got to teach the Bible in our homes and in our churches and let that be the foundation for how they function socially. Because we have made a lot of people, a lot of children that cannot function socially. And it's the reason why we have so many problems in America that we have today, is because we don't know how to coexist with one another anymore. On the other hand, we've got the greatest teacher the greatest teacher of all time with the greatest textbook of all time and he had a few things to say on how we should interact with one another. He taught us to treat others how we want to be treated. He said that we should love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us, not retaliate, not fire back on social media. Oh, let me move on. He said, don't just lend to those that can easily repay you, but lend to the less fortunate and expect nothing in return, teaching us to have a benevolent heart like he had a benevolent heart. He said, if someone in authority forces you to walk a mile, he said, go the extra mile. Walk two miles for them. This is all social. How to live with people. Jesus said, if you have a problem with someone, go immediately and deal with it. Some of you are not going to believe me. Look it up for yourself. But Jesus said this. He said, if you've got a problem with someone and you show up for church, you show up for worship, he said, lay your offering at the altar and go immediately to that person. You go get it fixed before you come back into God's house and you worship. Because when you get that fixed, then you can walk in and worship in spirit and in truth and you can give in your worship and you can raise your hands and you can lift your voice. But he said, if you've got a problem with someone, you lay your your offering down. He's he's like, don't walk out of here with your money. Lay your offering down first. Go and deal with it. Come back and then give, give your offering as worship. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. That's how serious this this social study is. He said that we should be willing to forgive someone 70 times seven times. That's 490. If you're good at math, that would be forgiving someone approximately every three minutes throughout the day. In other words, Jesus ultimately was saying that forgiveness is not about keeping score, it's about losing count. That's how you live with people. That's how you get along. He said that when someone offends you, you have a spiritual obligation to go and express your offense to them one-on-one, mano y mano. That's what he said. He said it's your responsibility when you've got a problem with someone, when they've done something to offend you, you go and talk to them one-on-one. Don't go and tell all of your mutual friends trying to get an army on your side. Don't go tell the whole right side of the church because you want them to to be on your side so you can drive somebody else away from the church. He said, you go one-on-one. And and there's a purpose in that. He said the purpose is restoration and healing of the relationship. Don't walk in with your guns blazing, just ready to have a fight. He said, you go one-on-one and express how they've hurt you, how they've offended you. And then knowing in his infinite wisdom that 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 may not work all the time. How many of you have tried that before and it just didn't work? Yeah. He said, it may not work. So let me give you another step in this formula. He said, if if you go one-on-one and they don't receive that, he said, then you take somebody with you. He said, one or two people. Just one or two people. And church, let me coach you with this a little bit. You're not taking one or two people with you so that those one or two people can hold them while you beat them up. That's not why you're taking one or two. You take one or two people that are not even necessarily on your side. You take one or two people that love both of you and want to see reconciliation made. And Jesus said, take them with you. And he said, and if they still don't receive it, if they're not having any of it, he said, then and only then do you take it to the church. And, and what that means is, you're, you're not going to come up here and stand here and, and just say, you know, Dario, let, let me tell you how sorry Dario is and how he offended me. Let, me. let me tell you, that's not what he means by taking it to the church. When you take it to the church, you take it to the spiritual authority in the church so that they can act as a mediator and try and bring healing to the situation. And Jesus said, this is how you deal with offense. But, but church, we, we, we do just the opposite from the very first step we would rather go and run our mouths and talk about somebody and how they've hurt us than to go and confront the problem and i know this is easy for me i know it is because i'm a confrontational person and there's some people in my home that they are not confrontational and i know that it, that it, it takes more courage for them to do that but man jesus gave us this example and said this is how you fix things Jesus told us to deal with the log that's in our own eye before we point out the, the speck that's in someone else's eye. He he said, instead of focusing on someone else's indiscretions, deal with your own first. Our great teacher, he gave us the social skills that lead to success in the kingdom of God and how we as the body of Christ can thrive together, how we as human beings can be a part of the world and be productive in our society. And Jesus said, this is how you accomplish it in the kingdom of God. But rather than live these life lessons out, I'm afraid that we treat them no more than philosophies on paper that are not tried and true. Let me tell you something. The words of red in here, they are tried and true. If you ever just get bored one day, you start flipping through the Gospels and you start reading the words in red. And I promise you, church, you will find that these words are tried and true and they will help us with our social skills. Time that we stop reading the Bible as a novel and we start reading it as a textbook. And we trust the information, we study the information, and we use this information to pass the test of life. But not only did Jesus give us social skills for dealing with each other, He also gave us social skills. On how to repair the relationship with our Heavenly Father. I want to read today out of Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 24. And I'm almost done. I promise you I'm almost done. But but I I need you to to listen to what Jesus said. And this is one of those moments where Jesus becomes very creative in his presentation. Him being the great teacher that he was. He tells a parable. This This is a story that he makes up. It's not a true story. It's a story that he makes up to share a, a heavenly principle, principle in an earthly way. He just wants to make it very relatable. And so here's what he says in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he, Jesus, he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said... This parable that Jesus is telling is that it's, it's breaking all of the rules of how the rabbis would have taught, honor your father and your mother so that your days on earth may be long. The law said that you're pretty much a dead man if you don't honor your parents. And so they would get up and they would preach the truth, but they would preach it without compassion. And Jesus even makes it a point in this story to say that the the prodigal son's father looks at him with compassion as he sees his son approaching, and Jesus shares this parable from a heart of compassion, letting his listeners know that it's not irreparable. That the the, the relationship that you have with your heavenly Father, it can be fixed. There, it, it, it's worth you investing in this moment to come back to the Father, because the Father is waiting for you. Now. I want to take just a moment, and if you would just allow me to in closing here, I want you to imagine the middle picture that Jesus was painting in their minds as I try, as I try to take this same parable but present it in maybe a vernacular that you would understand because Jesus was teaching in that culture. He was using objects and metaphors and analogies that they would understand in that culture. Let me tell it to you like this. There was a very successful entrepreneur from Gainesville that had two sons. The younger one was a little rebellious and self-serving at times. And one day when he came of age, the younger son came to his father and he, he said, I want to cash out my trust fund, Dad. A few days later, he took all of that money. He got on a flight to Las Vegas. When he got to Las Vegas, he immediately started blowing through the money. He rented a penthouse suite. He started bringing prostitutes to his room. There was alcohol, drugs. I mean, he was just living, living it up, but living the worst life. He ends up losing everything that he has, and he ends up working in a dirtbag hotel surrounded by low-life scum. One day, while he's there, he comes to his senses, and he says, man, even my father's employees... Even the lowest man on the totem pole at my dad's company, he has more than I have. I can't keep living like this. So he scrapes up enough money to get a Greyhound bus ticket. It takes days to get back home to Florida. But he rides that bus all the way from Nevada to Florida and all the way home in his mind he keeps rehearsing in his head how he is going to approach his father. How in humility he's going to apologize and tell him, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Just let me be one of your employees. Just let me work for your company. I'm tired of living life this way. All the way back to Florida, he rehearses that over and over. The bus drops him off at the end of a long drive that leads up to his father's house. He was glad that the The house was so far off the road because he didn't want anyone to see him get off the bus. He was so covered in shame and guilt. And he starts that long walk up that driveway. But as he's walking up the driveway, he looks off in the distance and he sees a man coming towards him. And it's strange because the man is running at him. As the man gets closer, he realizes it's his father running towards him. And he begins to think, oh no, what's he going to do? He has to be so angry at me. He has to hate me for what I've done. I've blown through my whole inheritance. What, what is he going to do? And I could see him almost bracing himself as he's ready for his dad to drop kick him as he gets there. But to his surprise, his dad runs up to him and wraps his loving arms around him. And he says, welcome home, my son. And he says, dad, dad, listen... I'm not even worthy to be your son. I just want to work for your company. And I can picture the father taking his hand and putting it over his mouth. And he said, shh. He looks to one of his employees and he says, I want you to go and get the keys to my brand new Jaguar. I'm going to give it to my son. Does he deserve it? No. Did he earn it? No. I'm just so happy he's home. I want him to have it. He looks at another one of his employees and he says, I want you to take him to the mall. I I want you to buy him a whole new wardrobe. He looks rough. I I want you to buy him a a, a new suit. I want you to put new shoes on his feet. matter of fact, I want you to buy him a pair of Jordans. That's what I want you to do. Really, buy him three or four pairs of Jordans. And those nice clear boxes that he can put in his closet where he can put them in the boxes. I'm not saying I have any. I'm just saying maybe. He looks at another one of his employees and he says, I want you to call the most expensive restaurant in Gainesville. And I want you to get them to cater. A celebration. And I want you to invite all of our friends and all of our family members. Because my son that was dead to me is now alive. Can you imagine how overwhelmed that son must have been. It's not what he was anticipating. It's not what he prepared for. There's so much grace and mercy in this moment. But church, what you have to realize is that the father has been working on his welcome home speech longer than you have been working on your I'm sorry speech. Because the moment you rebelled, the moment you turned from him, he started preparing for the moment that you would come home to him. And he never lost faith that you would. And so, yeah, when he sees you from afar off, the father is overcome with excitement and he has no choice but to to let out in a full blown sprint towards you because he loves you that much and wants to be in relationship with you that much and the greatest teacher said this is the social skill that you need to be in relationship with my father don't fix your life You come to Him just as you are, broken, bleeding, bruised. You come to Him with all your flaws, with all the mishaps, with all of your mistakes, with all the sins that you've made against others and the sins that they made against you. You come home to the Father. And Jesus said, the Father's heart will race towards you. Nothing will be able to keep the Father from coming to you. And that's what the greatest teacher of all time had to say about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org Thanks again for listening.